I'm Erica Stein. I'm a furniture designer at Urban Outfitters, and you're watching A Student's Perspective. Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to A Student's Perspective, the weekly series that connects students with designers, manufacturers, educators, industry professionals, and design media celebrities to hear their stories on just how they've gotten to where they are now. Through our conversations, we connect the past, present, and future of design to show just how much we can learn from each other to grow towards our fullest potential without prescribed limitations. Think of a student's perspective as a weekly design lecture series from the student's point of view. A student's perspective is a division of the nonprofit University Hall of Innovation, whose goals are to connect students with the design industry through design challenges and mentorship and a collaboration with the Marywood University Interior Architecture Program in Scranton, Pennsylvania. All interviews can be found in their video format at www.astudentsperspective.tv. For more information or sponsorship inquiries, please contact universityhalloofinnovation at gmail.com. Hi everyone, I'm Courtney and you're watching another episode of A Student's Perspective. Today I'm here with Erica Stein, and if you like our conversation today, please feel free to hit like, share, and post any comments or questions along the way. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us today. Can you just take a moment to introduce yourself and a little bit about your background? Sure. So, um, so I'm Erica. I'm a furniture designer for the URBN brand right now working for Urban Outfitters. Um, and I have a background in industrial design, just wrapped up my degree for furniture at SCAD. So I'm a newly minted furniture designer. Um, so yeah, so I'm just kind of starting out um, and that specifically have a background in event production as well. Um, so yeah, so a little bit of a, a few different things. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. Can you just talk about how you first got into all of that? You know, you mentioned, you know, event designing, furniture and industrial design, like what made you want to pick those as like a career path? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a, to be honest, I think it was a lot of uncertainty. You know, I think figuring out exactly what I wanted to do took a while, um, like it does for a lot of people. But, uh, I, you know, at Carnegie Mellon, it was so tech based. And, you know, a lot of uh, the projects were like medical devices and, you know, like world life saving things, which is great. I kind of wish I had been more <laughs> interested in that. But, um, I think I was really intrigued by sort of blending the art and design world. Um, I really love the idea of sort of creating these really cool conceptual spaces and um, conceptual products and, and telling a story through design. Um, I was really obsessed with David Stark. Uh, he's an event producer in New York and it's kind of a random thing, but I thought his work was so cool because I thought he kind of did that blend beautifully. He created these really, cool like immersive spaces that um you know he would design everything out of you know donated product for um you know for different charities and things like that and then at the end everything would be broken down and donated and so i just thought that was such a beautiful way of just of you know where to put your career and using your you know design skills um and so i was really intrigued by his work uh and so that's sort of why i went into events it was sort of a nice blend of both of those things um got to kind of have my design brain and my art brain um and you know with events you kind of get to do some funkier things people let you kind of do the crazier stuff uh because it's temporary <laughs> so i sort of embraced that really loved the service design aspect of the event world um loved creating these cool installations um you know telling the story of your client um, but, you know, that being said, because it's temporary, all this work that you're putting into the project is over after a few hours <laughs> and it's only living on in photographs. Um, and so I kind of felt like I needed a little bit of a change. I wanted to find something that still checked off all of the boxes that I, you know, loved about what I was doing, um, but was going to be something that was going to last a little bit longer and maybe be a little less wasteful hopefully um so that's sort of what led me into furniture you know i i was sort of thinking about what i wanted to go back to school for 
uh, sort of thought about interior design because it does have a, a lot of similar similarities to event planning and event spaces and that sort of thing. Um, but after working with West Elm for a few years, I sort of saw their products roll out and just, you know, thought how rewarding it would be to kind of see your product come to life and then go live in somebody's house and have them enjoy it. And hopefully in a perfect scenario, they pass it down and so forth. And that story kind of continues. Um, and so that's sort of what led me to furniture. So it's sort of a strange trajectory of, of things, but um, that's, that's sort of my story. <laughs> no, that's so amazing. I think something it's so like refreshing to hear, you know, this perspective um, within event planning and designing specifically, just because I feel like, you know, kids in design school, students in design school um, at various ages, they don't understand or realize how many avenues there are. And this is specifically one that is so flourishing and, you know, like rewarding. Like you said, there's so many different opportunities to be able to be so creative. Like you said, maybe in like a happenstance and maybe it's not so long term, but it's doing what they might want to be doing, but they don't realize that's an option for them. Right. And I think I really benefited, benefited from taking some time between undergrad and grad school because, you know, when you're in design school, you're sort of in this bubble of like, you can do whatever you want and everything seems amazing. But then, you know, that's not always a reality when you're in the job, things change and, you know, you're at the beck and call of your clients and your hours are maybe kind of crazy. And so there's, you know, some of those everyday reality things that hit that you maybe aren't expecting. Um, so, you know, having that experience and kind of getting to try out different things after, you know, after undergrad really kind of helped shape where my career was going with my grad degree. So, yeah. So was there at any point in your undergrad career that you were like, you know, I really want to move forward with this? Was there like a specific project or anything that like really gauged your sense that you knew you wanted to move into this uh, field? Um, I mean, I think all of my favorite projects were all the service design um, projects. I mean, experiential design was sort of just becoming a buzzword and all of our professors like hated that because they were like, you can't design an experience like that's a personal thing. You can't, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but it was that that I really loved because you can kind of add in all these layers and I, I love the storytelling part of it and just tech did not seem to have that same quality, you know, that um, kind of emotional quality to it. It just seemed really kind of stark and sterile. And I really kind of loved a little bit more of the blend of the artistic conceptual side. So um, so all of the projects where we were designing a service or using, you know, different um, types of design work and kind of blending them, I really loved that a lot. We didn't do a lot of furniture, so I didn't really get to have much of a taste of that. Um, but you know, it was it was sort of the the random crazy projects that I loved more so than the you know designing power tools and stuff. We yeah. did one class actually where we were designing. It was this class that was a partnership with uh, the art school, and um, we were designing a business. And so it was, you know, all these different students from different disciplines, and so we were kind of tasked with designing. Um, a business where we could kind of do whatever we want. And so we decided to do a waffle shop, which is sort of strange, but um, it was in this, you know, nearby neighborhood and we wanted it to connect with the community. And so we were kind of asking local community members and people who live nearby and people that are businesses that were next door and things like that, what they wanted. And they wanted like a late night waffle shop. So that's what we gave them. And it was like the time of my life. We had like, there was like a bar next door and we always had people kind of filtering over and we would interview them and have them on stage and have different like events. And so every night kind of shaped what the next night was going to look like. Um, and we sort of let the neighborhood and the community members kind of inform what we were doing. Um, and so it's, you know, it's sort of, projects like that that led me into the event world. I wanted to kind of create these cool experiences and, um, you know, and I think now with furniture, it's so different, but in a lot of ways, there's so many similarities, you know, it's so art based. Um, you know, there is so much storytelling in furniture, you know, we all have pieces in our house that we love that we're 
very emotionally attached to. And, you know, I don't take it too seriously at the end of the day. It's a chair, it's a table, you know, but um, I do like to kind of embed a little bit of that um, conceptual nature and that storytelling and, you know, creating that, that um, piece and within like a space. So. Yeah, no, that's amazing because especially I can tell, you know, between you talking about narratives and really like the community aspect of it, you are essentially like, I, I will totally support you. You are definitely designing an experience and something that's for the community too. Um, just it, it's so well thought out. I feel like, especially when you talk about the narratives and everything that adds into it, um, bringing in furniture pieces, because I mean, experiential design, you, you have that social aspect of it. People are going to be, you know, interacting with pieces and objects like that. So yeah, of course, I can definitely sense, you know, how everything relates. And I think that just goes back to the whole conversation we were just talking about, about how, you know, students might not make those connections and realize how like, it can branch out into these larger things. So, which is really exciting. Yeah, yeah. And I think too, you know, the blend of art and design, like when you're looking at an art piece, it is like an emotional connection. And you're, you know, the nice thing about adding in a, you know, design element that's such as like, you know, a chair or something that you're interacting with is that whole interaction adds another element to the experience of that piece. You know, being an art object, you're not interacting, you're not touching it that physical connection isn't necessarily there, but, you know, something like a chair, um, you know, kind of that light, that story in the lifetime of the piece is shaped by how it's used and the memory that's created around it. Um, and again, you know, I'm not trying to take furniture too seriously, but, but, you know, it's true. Every, every piece that you're emotionally attached to that you have, you know, this nostalgia for, it's because you have memories with it. There's some sort of attachment outside of the fact that it's just a cool looking piece of furniture, so. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I feel like that is so important and so relevant within society too, right? Because you see a lot of people that are thrifting and that are, you know, wanting those pieces that have those characteristics of, you know, they're, the way that they're carved or maybe the way that they're made or just the story behind them. You know, you go to maybe a yard sale or something and you talk to somebody that ha is selling a beautiful chair and you just hear the story behind like, how it was, you know, utilized by the previous family or whatnot. And I think it, that's what really draws people in to bring it into their homes or, you know, into their spaces that they want to use it for, because it adds to that level of, you know, that relationship. It adds to that sense of like love and everything that is going on within that space. And it's so important. I think a lot of pieces that are, you know, just made by like companies that are quickly prefabricated. And of course there's, you know, there's utilizes for it and you know there's great purposes that can come from those but you know sometimes it's more about like that narrative that you're talking about for sure yeah I think there's something with age you know just being old we we like are more attracted to it it, it increases in value just because it has a story even if it's like a piece of junk if it's something that looks like it was from an era that, you know, I don't know, it's just something about being old that people just add value to. And I think it's because there's this inherent story that either you know the story or maybe you don't. And there's that question mark that makes it all the more intriguing. And I think now during the pandemic, people kind of appreciate their stuff more maybe. Um, you know, like you said, there's something to be said for inexpensive design and having that accessibility to design. But I think that you can find, you know, that emotional connection with furniture, even at the thrift store, something that you find on the side of the street. Um, you know, I think people are becoming more connected with their stuff because they haven't had a choice. You know, they have to be at home with their stuff. And I think that's part of the reason the, the home industry has sort of been booming. We've kind of been lucky to kind of have that um, success despite all the craziness that's been going on. And I hope that continues. I think people appreciate well-crafted things and and they like the story. Um, they like knowing where it comes from and, and if it was sustainably sourced and um, ethically sourced and that sort of thing. So all those little tidbits um, kind of add to that backstory of, of why you're buying something, so. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that just made me think of what you, going off of what you said was, you know, people are at home, they have their, you know, their objects that maybe they're like either, you know, 
getting sick of or they're learning to love more so and I think a lot of the times we see people like repurposing them or reusing them changing them um and I think that's something that's really interesting too and kind of taking into consideration how people are adapting those objects for new purposes and it's kind of like what you were just saying about you know taking like a chair for example and utilizing that for a specific object I mean we within interiors or just in this design world we obviously gain that sense of you know socialness and you know use for like sitting or just interacting with one people but like when you change it and alter it it's a totally new use it might become that that art piece within the home or it might become you know this like just interactive space within the home it might not be necessarily utilized for sitting but you know it just kind of takes a whole new perspective on everything yeah I yeah I totally agree and I think in design school you know the amount of times we were told you know it has to form follows function which of course is like the bible in terms of the design world and you know I totally agree with that but the amount of chairs that were supposedly coming out of form follows function and it was like Okay, if you're if you're only following form follows function, you'd have what the perfect one perfect chair, right? You know, so at some point there's an element of art and um, you know personality that comes into design, and I think that's something that was sort of denied in a lot of what I learned in undergrad. Um, you know, the art world was sort of like separate, like it can't be you know, we're not designing to be pretty or to be beautiful. And I think that, you know, in design, beauty is important. We we buy things um, because we're attracted to them. And I think a lot of that comes from beautiful form in addition to the functionality. Um, so I don't know, it's just something that interesting that I've always kind of come back to is, you know, there's, there's multiple ways, multiple solutions, and it doesn't always have to revolve around um, you know, the, the basic guidelines that we've been taught every, you know, all through design school. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's kind of like a back and forth between we're always taught to kind of not put aesthetics in, in the forefront of everything. But I mean, in a more normal general sense, like we're designing for the normal people, the everyday people who might not be exposed to the design world or, you know, every the knowledge of form follows function, you know what I mean? That sort of thing. So to them, it's like, oh, I want something that looks great. And it's just like so beautiful and will fit the aesthetic of my home and whatnot. So it's like, it's definitely a back and forth, I feel like trying to like, please all or tick all the boxes. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, because I think people are becoming more um, interested in furniture as art. Like, I think people are looking at it as more of like an investment piece. Not that it has to be expensive, but it's something that has a little bit more depth to it than um, an Ikea chair, but an Ikea chair is still a beautiful design. It's just different. You know, it doesn't maybe have the same connection points as um, a more sculptural piece. And so it's like neither one is wrong, but there's definitely room for both. Um, and so it's interesting to kind of see, you know, in, in my grad degree, there's a lot of students with an interior design background, and a lot of students with a fashion design or industrial design. And it's so interesting to see how differently they were taught about those different things and how, you know, how beauty and function kind of come together in different ways um, and how different uh, design industries sort of, you know, lay out those guidelines. So anyways, it's, it's just been interesting to kind of see how that's transitioned. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I completely 100% agree. And I think something that you mentioned a little bit earlier was like the sustainability aspect of it. Um, and, you know, what I found was interesting is in 2020, you were actually the Red Dot Award winner for your fly ash chair. And, and that talks about sustainability and all of that. Um, can you just talk about that project specifically and maybe how you led, led through it from beginning to end? Sure. So, um, so that project actually started out as just like a hypothetical project for Emiko. Um, just for a design studio class that I had. And so we were kind of tasked with designing a piece of furniture that would blend well with Emika's line and also kind of follow their um, brand ethos. They're very sustainable. Everything that they design 
is meant to last a lifetime. I mean, they started out with the Navy chair, which is this aluminum, like indestructible chair, and it still sells like crazy and it's a beautiful piece. And so their design aesthetic and their whole backstory kind of follows in line with that first piece. So I really wanted to design something that um, was going to be built to last and fit in with their design, with their line. Maybe not necessarily aluminum. They have a lot of that already. Trying to think of like a new interesting material. Um, and then having gone to undergrad in um, Pennsylvania where their um, facilities are actually located, I knew that there was a lot of industry there. And so I started looking into the coal industries and what kind of you know, byproduct could maybe be recycled or used or, you know, just kind of doing a lot of digging and looking at a lot of different things. And then came across fly ash and it was just like, seemed like the golden opportunity. It was like perfect, you know, it's this horrible material that kind of is super toxic and is filling all these like gross looking lakes in the area and, um, and it, you know, could be used for cement production. It was already being used and in the process of it being uh, recycled and you know made into something new it seals the material and um, keeps it from being toxic so it was sort of a win when it's in their backyard they could source it you know locally and um, and so that's sort of how you know the design process started I designed the shape of it purely based on the material I really wanted to kind of highlight um, the color and the material and and you know it kind of felt really industrial so the shape kind of took on that form as well um kind of like a brutalist kind of thing <laughs> and um and then i also wanted it to kind of blend in well with their aesthetics that's kind of how it all started so i'm actually um trying to produce it right now we're kind of working on the mold and i'm working with a fly ash uh, manufacturer right now uh to produce it so it, we'll see how it goes. We're in the mold making stage, so I'm hoping it'll work out well, but it'll be pretty cool to see it um, come to fruition. <laughs> yeah, that's so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, Thank well, good, good luck with getting, you know, the mold and everything situated and taken care of and just producing it. That's that's amazing. I think that's every, like, furniture designer's dream, you know, is to have, like, that that long process and then be rewarded by such like an amazing opportunity so that's really incredible and i think too something that's so important with the process that you're talking about is there's a couple actually that caught my attention specifically was you know locally sourced materials um just the the adaptive reuse of that whole uh process and even just taking into considering you know the circular economy of materials and taking a secondary material and utilizing it as like a primary source and that's so um important i feel like a lot of you know manufacturers might not take that into consideration as much you know these days which and it's so important for the environment and for the just the design industry in general because i think the more we produce and produce the more waste we're kind of creating and in order to kind of gain it under control we need to start taking it seeing how we can reuse those um, materials again. I mean, even when you were talking about, you know, event uh, experiential design, like you'd say, you know, it is for a short term, but what can we do with those those objects? What can we do with the materials that were used for that? Can we use them for anything else? So that's just really an interesting aspect of it. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. I think the thing about this chair that's interesting is, you know, it's not taking a sustainable material and, and kind of continuing that cycle. It's taking an incredibly non, you know, it's a really destructive material and making it sustainable. So the, you know, the strange thing about this, you know, chair is that, you know, ideally it, it wouldn't really exist after a while. <laughs> you know, hopefully at some point there won't be any fly ash um, to be used, which makes it interesting. You know, I think that fly ash material being used for this purpose, you know, it, it's sort of a band-aid. And I feel like my professors would probably cringe at the fact that I'm referring to my design as a band-aid. But, you know, I think that it's important to remember that when you're thinking about, you know, designing sustainably, you don't have to think about using every perfect channel to get to that point. You know, there. I think that sustainable design has always intimidated me because you feel like, oh my gosh, we have to keep the carbon 
footprint, you know, like very minimal and it has to be made of this and then break down to next to nothing. And, you know, it, it, there's so many things that keep people from designing sustainably because you feel like it has to be perfect. And I think that we, you know, it's important to kind of bridge those gaps into, you know, hopefully in the future where we won't have to use materials like fly ash to design product. Um, you know, we kind of need to kind of design for those temporary in between moments like we are in now <laughs> and um, hopefully in between. And, um, you know, the fly ash chair, it's meant, it's, you know, representative of something too. Like it's a cool looking chair, but it's also, you know, it's physically made of your electrical waste. So it's, you know, I've tried to calculate it out, um, but it's almost 100% fly ash and it's about um, 115 days worth of electrical use um, if you're, you know, lights powered on for 24 hours for 115 days. So it's this physical representation of your electrical usage. Um, so it's kind of interesting to think about it in that sense too, you know, hopefully one day it'll just be sort of this weird relic of this material that doesn't exist. Um, you know, but it's kind of a different way of approaching sustainable design, I guess. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, you know, it's, it's interesting that you, t you know, you say that we're in this like in between period, because I think like, you know, the, I can definitely understand where you're coming from. And, and with all of that, because yeah, th there's going to be a point where, you know, maybe it's not going to be a, a, an available source material or whatnot, but you know, it, it kind of, it, it's kind of interesting because now you're 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 talking about that narrative again. You're bringing that up and saying that this was once part of the history and continuing that progression of that material. But then now it's kind of you know once we get to that point, like it's gonna be like that relic, that like highly wanted uh, object that is you know just it's there. It's a part of history now, so it's it's gonna be wanted more and more just as time goes on too. So that's, that was something that I thought was interesting to think about. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I can only hope that my furniture will be valued like that at some point. That's, that's a dream scenario. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting to think about that this is not something that it's a sustainable solution that's not meant to be sustained, basically. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, um, go, kind of shifting gears a little bit more, um, talking about how your work with urban outfitters in that furniture industry, how has that process or, um, you know, the way the mentality in that sort of company progressed from maybe undergrad to grad to now? Is it kind of like, was it a, a very, you know, continuous fluidity of, you know, progression or was it kind of like starting and stopping different mindsets? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I started working with a few companies while I was still in school uh, freelancing. So I was a graduate intern for Salamit and then started freelancing for anthropology and um, and then kind of kept on with a few other different side projects with different companies. And um, it was a really great way for me to kind of get a feel for different parts of the industry, um, wholesale versus retail and to the trade, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, there's so many different facets of the furniture industry, whether you're trying to build your own pieces or you're digitally designing for, you know, the masses. And so having a little bit of a taste of different things, I think was really helpful in figuring out um, you know, where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. Um, and so, yeah, so then I kept working freelance after I was done with school and then eventually decided I wanted to um, go full time and got this position with Urban. I think I just really crave eventually being in an office with people. And, you know, I think freelance, I would have continued to be, you know, by myself at home. So <laughs> there's something you said about the creative process, about just being around other people, you know, so um so yeah, I mean, it's a new position and I love it so far. I get to work on a lot of really cool pieces, you know, a lot of sculptural stuff. Um, and so it's been, it's been really fun so far. Yeah. That's awesome. And, you know, how did you kind of branch yourself into that position? Like, was it more so like, 
you reaching out to those companies and saying, you know, I'm a designer, these are the kind of, you know, values that I have, and I want to bring that to your company as well? Or how did you start to um, get, get into all that? Because I feel like, you know, now with, you know, graduates and, you know, going from making that transition from uh, undergrad or grad to the, the real world, the real design field, it's, it's a little difficult for some students and they feel a little bit intimidated, you know, like, so what did, what did that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, you have to work really hard at making those connections and swallow your pride a little bit and just be really aggressive, even if you feel awkward, because I know that I have you know, felt weird about just blindly messaging people on LinkedIn. But, you know, most people are really receptive to that and they've been there. Everybody's kind of been in that position and, you know, hopefully they'll be nice enough to at least respond. Um, and if not, you know, it happens. But I would say really take advantage of your alum and, you know, connections of connections. I mean, really kind of reach out and, I, you know, going to High Point for me, at least for furniture, is, you know, great because everybody's there. That's like the one, the you know, two times a year when the whole industry is in one place and you can really take advantage of trying to set up meetings with people and, you know, bring your portfolio with you and um, being face to face is a really big benefit to kind of making those connections because people, it's more personal, it's less, you know, people can hit ignore really easily online. So, um, so I think just putting yourself out there and not being afraid to reach out and, you know, try to, you know, shoot your shot and see what happens. And so most people are pretty receptive to that, I think, at least in my experience. Yeah. And was that also the mindset with, I know you've uh, had a lot of experience with design competitions as well. Uh, were, was that mostly you looking out and reaching out for those or were the competitions more so something that you or everybody, all of your peers did at, at school altogether? Actually, that's one thing that I think SCAD does incredibly well. Um, they kind of send, send things to you. So I'm not, you know, when you're in design school, it's hard to be proactive about that stuff because you're like, oh my gosh, I have 50 million projects. The last thing I want to do is put together some written summary about my work and, you know, so, but SCAD, you know, they'll send, you know, me and, you know, all the other students like here, you should apply for this or, you know, your professor said this project would probably work well for this. And so they are like on it and they send it to you. They make it super easy. And that is huge. I mean, they have done um, an amazing job with that. It, it reflects really well on them. And of, of course, the students, it's a win-win for everybody. And they are amazing about um, setting you up with like their PR team. If you win something, they try to connect you with them. And then, you know, they'll try to get you published if they can on different platforms. And so it's that's a huge benefit to them. And they're also um so great at helping facilitate those connections too with alum and other industry professionals so um so i do credit scat a lot to <laughs> to that i don't think i would have ever thought i would win a red dot and i would have never even thought to apply um but i was like well scat's paying for it and and they're sending it to me so why not so it was it was a huge shock i did not think i would win i just I just didn't think that it was kind of in the realm of possibility as a graduate student. So um, they kind of really, I owe it to them for, for forcing me. <laughs> it's always so funny because it's always the ones that you don't expect or you don't like anticipate doing and then it just like works out the best. Yeah, so. it's true. It's true. It was, it was a great surprise in the middle of the pandemic. It was, it was nice <laughs> to get that news. Well, congratulations again. Thank you. Yeah. And so I guess going off of what you said, too, was, you know, how, you know, as a student, there's always so many things going on, right? So you have your extracurriculars, you have studio, you have this and that. And like the last thing, you know, we kind of like, it's so bad to say, but the last thing we like want to do is like another thing on our plate. But I mean, it's just, it's such great opportunities like that, that really propel us forward. And I think that's something that students take for granted a lot of the time. They just kind of push it to the side and say, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to like, I'll get to it. And then they never get to it. Um, I mean, obviously, I I've been there. I've done it. But it's something that you kind of just have to really like 
propel yourself into and really, you know, take the time for it because I mean, you're first and foremost an example of it. It it you'll never know what the outcome can be. So why not put your name out there? And I think some students are obviously get a little bit intimidated by that. So do you have any advice for for students in that kind of like position? I mean I I mean I am that student. I I mean I know the feeling and especially I think having taken time between undergrad and graduate you just you're like you go back to school and you're like oh my gosh I get to do all these things and in undergrad you're like oh my gosh I have to do all these things and you just appreciate it 10 times more like I just I feel like going back to school I took advantage of every class every you know tutorial every demonstration every you know thing that was happening I was like I'm there like everything that was part of tuition I was like I'm doing it I'm a part of it um and I'm so glad I did because it led me to a lot of cool experiences a lot of cool connections and I think just trying to say yes to as much as you can and not necessarily more work because you know you gotta find the right balance but the involvement in the school and trying to take advantage of all that they're doing to to help facilitate your growth and you know your moves in your career and things like that at least trying certain things out once and seeing how they work for you because you know even after you leave you know I still have connections with a lot of the people that I met um you know through career building and things like that that I still send questions to every once in a while there's just lifelong connections that you can make at school that will help your whole career and um so I think just trying to do as much as you can, as hard as it is. It is hard. It is a lot. Um, but just remember that when you're out in the real world, you're going to miss it and you're going to wish that that is all you had that was going on. <laughs> I mean, it's different. It's the grass is always greener, but it is nice to be able to sit in class and through a lecture. I, I feel like I never really thought that that was something I would ever value. And now I'm like, it's all I ever want to do. So, yeah. Yeah, especially even going, like you said, from undergrad to grad, I think, um, you know, thinking about just the, the process and just adding, you know, more years to your schooling, I think is something that students also get a little bit um, unencouraged about. They think, you know, they're so burnt out or, you know, they just need to take some time off with school um, and really just kind of figure out, you know, personal ambitions and values and you know just that's kind of a a back burner topic I think sometimes but do you have was it for you was it something that was really like you knew you wanted to go back to school or was it something that you know you wanted to take some time off and get into like do you have any advice on that situation for students yeah I mean when I left undergrad I, I never wanted to go back to school I was so burnt out um, but I think because just finding out what the job that I was interested in was really like, and, you know, there was a lot of things that I loved about it, but I think you just learn so much from being in the job. And that's why I think, you know, internships and getting experience, even while you're in school with things that you're sort of interested in as much as possible is so beneficial because, you know, you just don't know all the questions to ask yet and you don't know what you're going to value or what you're going to hate or what, you know what might change your mind and make you want to do something different. And, um, and so I think doing, you know, just experiencing um, the jobs that I had and, and figuring out what I was really most interested in and what I, you know, wanted for my career um, kind of allowed me to kind of get a better sense of what direction I wanted to go. In. And I, I think honestly, in undergrad, I still don't think I understood what I wanted to do at that point. Um, I don't think I did enough exploring on my own to figure that out. Uh, there's so many options as a designer, which is great, but it also makes it really difficult. Um, I remember being in school and being like, oh, I wish I just was interested in like a medical degree or something because the whole time you're in it, you, this is what you're doing and you know, you, like you're on a track in design. It can go in a million directions and I'm so grateful for that now, but um, it can be a little bit overwhelming. So I think just trying to experience you know, as many different, you know, jobs and internships as you possibly can. And, and if you have questions, just ask people that work in those jobs. Um, and, you know, I think that's sort of what led me back to school. But 
I think it, it all happened in the right order. I don't think I would have been able to figure that out had I gone straight into a grad degree. <laughs> so, yeah. And how about uh, talking a little bit about the process it takes to actually physically make, uh, you know, a piece of furniture or an object when even when you were in school or, you know, outside now, um, how, what does that kind of look like for you? Um, is it something that you're more digitally inclined to do? Or is it something that you really feel that you should, you know, get your hands dirty and physically build it in order to understand that materiality? Yeah, I mean, the thing about the furniture industry is it does get digital really quickly. Um, most of what I do is digital, uh, but I do love doing hands-on as much as I can, like with clay models or paper, things like that. It, it, you know, it's you experience things totally differently when it's something that's three-dimensional. Um, and, you know, a lot of companies just don't have the capabilities for somebody to go work in a shop and mock it up. You know, that's that's like a huge luxury to have that in the real world. Um, so, you know, but, you know, on the other hand, it's nice to have the flexibility to kind of work from wherever on your computer to do it. And then if you love to build, you can do that in your spare time. I mean, you know, this chair, the splash chair is like my passion project that I'm doing on the side. So, you know, you find ways to kind of fill those gaps. You know, I, I do like having, um, you know, doing the hands-on thing and building, um, but am I a master woodworker? Absolutely not. I could never build you like the most perfect, amazing chair. Um, can I build a chair? Yes, but um, maybe one day that takes a long, a long time, but, um, but yeah, we did learn how to build furniture. I think building a chair is like the hardest thing and anybody who can build an amazing chair, I really admire their talents because it's, it's very difficult. Um, but it, you know, it teaches you all the things that you need to know about construction, um, joinery, how things are, how things are made and how they're going to be manufactured. So all of that stuff, you know, obviously has a hand in how you're designing on your computer. Um, but it is different. You're not, you're not really building unless, unless you go that route and you're, you know, working in a shop and you're building your pieces. And so there's different ways you can take it. Yeah. And is there like any specific like programs that you're more inclined to use when like designing furniture specifically or any, anything? Um, I mean, I always start out sketching. Um, and, you know, that's always the first step for me. I, I feel like if you go straight into SolidWorks, you kind of limit yourself because then you get sucked into like, well, now I feel like I have to do this because I've already started it. Um, so I feel like the, you know, the process of sketching is always the most important thing for me because it's when I kind of reach the best solution. Uh, but then I, yeah, I use SolidWorks pretty much across the board and then I render everything in KeyShot. Uh, I wish I knew Rhino. I hope to one day learn it because you can do so many more of those kind of fluid forms and organic shapes. Uh, SolidWorks is a little bit trickier on that front, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of mostly my process so yeah that's interesting we we typically here use rhino at school so that's why i was just interested to see like because there like you said there were so many different like programs and things out there that you know some students might not even know of like i i have never heard of that before so i'm really in, inclined to go and, and see what that's all about now so yeah. oh what solid works or yeah oh yeah yeah it's, it's the industrial design software <laughs> it's very like <laughs> boxes and geometry um but yeah yeah so is that typically what your process looks like when designing maybe like a personal piece so you start out with sketching and then you work in more of like that sort of process yeah yeah I mean always sketching first I mean different companies and different people do it differently but I think when you're designing pieces no matter what everybody always wants the same thing and that is the best end result so um, you know, you kind of have to stick to whatever process works for you. And I think the word process kind of haunts any design students. We're like, oh my God, like the perfect process. Like, oh God, I remember in undergrad when just seeing your professor, like, like going through notebooks and, you know, some kids, it was like the most perfect pristine sketches and mine kind of looked like a five-year-old's drawn it on some of them. Cause I'm just like going through like random shapes really quickly and not doing anything super refined, you know? Um, but that's what helps me get to the refined sketches. You know, like you have to know what actually helps you as opposed to 
what other people think should help you. And I think that was like the hardest thing for me to kind of get into my head is I have to draw the perfect cube, you know, cylinder shape things because that's what I was taught. Um, and my sketchbook is way more me than any of my sketchbooks in undergrad because they're they're more fluid and they have better ideas because it's it's my real authentic process. So figuring that out took a while, but it's important. So yeah, no, that's definitely something I feel is really important to know as a student too, because like you said, there's a lot of the times where professors or, you know, just people in the industry will just say, you have to do it this, 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 this way. And it's kind of like, it's like forcing something that like shouldn't be forced. You know what I mean? Like it should be more creative and more fluid and it should just happen naturally instead of like forcing everything to be a specific way. And I think that's why we always get stuck in these positions where we're like, I don't know what to do next because this isn't what I anticipated doing or, you know, you kind of, you kind of get back into the thought process of, oh, well, I feel like I'm like in reverse instead of moving forward when in reality, we're just doing what we're naturally inclined to do. So it's really an interesting thing. Yeah. 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 And I don't want to bash the, you know, the teachings of it. I know you kind of have to learn the rules before you break the rules and all that, but I think, you know, getting graded on your process is like always so terrifying for me because it's like, how do I even explore it if I feel like it has to be a perfect line, you know, that kind of thing. So anyways, it's, it's interesting. It's different for everyone, but yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And was there anything that, you know, looking back at your undergrad or even your graduate career, um, was there anything that you wish you knew or like then to tell yourself now or just kind of like that idea of, oh man, like I wish I did it maybe this way differently or anything like that? Um, yeah, I think that like, I think just if I had known that it was okay to not be 100% on board with what um, my major was, I think that like there was at least for us, it was either communication design or industrial design. And everything that I loved went industrial design. So we didn't have that many choices in like, you know, the offshoots of different disciplines and things like that. Um, and so it was kind of, you know, a little bit boxed in of, of what we were doing. And I kind of wish I had allowed myself to kind of explore different, um, different things a little bit earlier on. Um, because I, I think that I missed out on, you know, certain things. I think SCAD's great because you have access to so many different things and you can try out so many different types of classes. Um, and I think that's really valuable for like an art and design degree because there's just so many options out there. Um, so, I, and I think the second thing would be just to know my worth as a designer. And I think that's true for every young person going into a career, you know, you feel like you have to just do whatever you're told and in, you know, you do work your way up and that sort of thing, but taking on like unpaid internships and you just kind of feel like you're doing it cause you have to, and you, you know, maybe get stomped on a little bit more easily cause you don't know any different. And so I think knowing, you know, knowing when to kind of put in the work and, you know, let things slide, but also knowing when um, to know what, you know, what your worth is and when, you know, you need to be getting paid more or just getting paid. Uh, you know, I was kind of graduated in the age of the unpaid internship, and I actually know a girl that I went to school with who paid several thousand dollars to actually intern somewhere in New York. So, it was a different situation and we kind of were all doing anything that we could just to get the job. And I think a lot of employers knew that and took advantage. And so I wish I, you know, I, I think that's important for everybody to know to, to kind of know when to kind of stand your ground a little bit in that arena. So yeah, that would be my advice. <laughs> yeah, that's some great advice. Thank you. Uh, and one last question, I want to talk about um, digital fabrication a little bit more just because I feel like now it's such a like important aspect of design school like they're always telling you take advantage of the digital fabrication techniques of you know laser cutters CNC's like all of that was there ever a time where you were inclined to use those or you know had the opportunity to use those and or maybe like what you would do with those if you had the chance. 
Um, you mean what I would do with them now in my job or? Yeah, like is there, like did you ever have any opportunities or experience with digital fabrication through like laser cutter CNCs or, you know, even just like 3D printers? And like, if so, like have you utilized them in your like career path now? Sure, yeah. So um, I used the CNC a lot when I was in, <laughs> it was like a dream machine because it could do anything. Um, and that actually is something that a lot of manufacturers use. Um, 3D printing, I didn't use as much because it was just so expensive. Um, and I think a lot of industrial designers use that because it, it kind of lends itself to what they do for furniture being so much larger. It, um, you know, we just weren't using it that often, but it is an amazing thing. And there's so much you can do with 3D printing. I kind of wish that I um, you know, had projects that really lent itself to that because I would have loved to learn more about 3D printing. Um, but yeah, I, I think most of what I did was CNC, a little bit of laser cutting. Um, but I mean, I think the most relevant um, thing would be the CNC just because that's something that is used in furniture quite a bit on a large scale, even for mass manufactured pieces. Um, and laser cutting, you know, I feel like that's something that most manufacturers do, but don't really have to connect to what the designers are doing. They kind of just do that on their own. It's nice to know when I'm designing that, okay, this can be CNC because that's a huge benefit. <laughs> like if a manufacturer has a CNC machine that adds a lot of flexibility to what you can do, which is nice. So um, yeah, that's probably the, the most advantageous machine when it comes to what I do, so. Great, yeah. And where can um, students find you or any of your works, like on social media or any websites? Yeah, I have a website. It's ericasteindesign.com, which rhymes, which is awful. I hate that it rhymes, but it does. Um, so my work is there, so you can check out my stuff there. Um, and then I am on LinkedIn, so if anyone ever wants to reach out with me, to me with any questions or anything. I'm an open book and like we were talking about earlier, I know what it's like to look for jobs and or need advice or whatever. So I definitely want to kind of pass the baton with that. And so if anybody wants to reach out, please more than welcome. So great. Well thank you so much, Erica, for taking the time to speak with us at a student's perspective. Uh, this is it for the conversation today. Uh, catch us next week as the conversation continues. We hope you like this discussion with the design industry from a student's perspective. Please like, share, and comment, and stay tuned for more inspiring conversations to come.